Welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today we've got an episode about Bitcoin and Socratic seminars, but first let me introduce the sponsors of the show. So firstly, Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. You've got to check them out. They have a high quality platform. They offer high trading volume. They offer 24-7 support. They've got best-in-class accounting, reconciliation and reporting. They're renowned for their focus on security. And they've got Kraken Pro mobile app. Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Don't forget this Kraken OTC desk for those seeking a more private, personalized service for large block trades, and Kraken just recently acquired Circle Trade. Kraken also offer margin trading up to five times long and short. Kraken offer futures up to 50 times leverage, and they've also got the Crypto Watch platform where you can manage and use it as a dashboard for your trading as well. So go to kraken.com to sign up. Next up is Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control. All their products and services are built on the foundation of multi-sig. So they've got an approach to collaborative custody giving users control over their private keys. Unchained offer two of three multi-signature vaults. And these are a great option if you're thinking about how to best secure your Bitcoin for the long term. And if you ever need to access liquidity without selling your Bitcoin, if you need a loan, Unchained offer collateralized loans. You can put up Bitcoin, it's stored on-chain, they've got dedicated multi-sig addresses, and the Bitcoin is never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security. You can actually hold one of three keys. I'm really impressed with Unchained. They offer excellent services, they've got awesome content. Check out Parker Lewis's series and some of the recent interviews with Dhruv and Parker. They offer Caravan and Hermit. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them for your Bitcoin financial services. Go to unchained-capital.com. Hey, check out givebitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me, I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They didn't know what they were receiving. That's why I saw huge value in Give Bitcoin. You can buy Bitcoin for your friends and family with just their email address. And here's the twist. Your gift is time-locked with a regulated US custodian for one year, during which Give Bitcoin delivers 12 monthly lessons to your recipient to speed them through the learning curve of becoming a hodler. Give Bitcoin has input from many well-known Bitcoiners, including Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Citizen Bitcoin, and others, and Jan Pritzker just recently joined as the CTO. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake, and I'm assisting with the curriculum also. Keep an eye out for more exciting announcements coming from GiveBitcoin.io. The aim is to have a really positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Last but not least, CypherSafe. They are producing the Cypher Wheel product. Are you keeping your Bitcoin BIP39 seed backed up? Is it fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident? If not, check out Cypher Wheel. It's a new product, it's compact, it comes in a wheel shape, it masks the actual words of your seed, and it's got a tamper evident seal as well. Make sure you've got your seed backed up in case your paper seed goes is waterlogged or tampered or goes up in a fire. Make sure your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. The product is available for pre-order. Go to cyphersafe.io. My guest today is Alex Leishman. He is a co-organizer of San Francisco Bitcoin Devs and also founder and CEO of River. So he joins me and we talk about this meetup style known as the Bitcoin Socratic Seminar. And I found it really fantastic, the one that I attended. And I thought it would be good to get some discussion in on this and potentially people around the world can leverage this meetup style as 
their own way to help people upskill and build their own knowledge from a technical point of view about Bitcoin. And while we've got Alex here, we also talk about his company, River Financial. So here is the interview. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Alex, I know your reputation precedes you. I know you have a reputation for being a good moderator and host of the Socratic seminar and you've done you know, a lot of work around community building and you know been, uh, been around the space for a while. I'd love to hear a little bit of your story on how you got into all this and Bitcoin and Australian economics. Yeah, well, that's very flattering. Uh, thanks for the kind words. I'm glad you've, I'm glad you've heard good things. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess I can start from the, start from the beginning. I think it's a pretty interesting story, but it, it has a lot in common with how a lot of other people found themselves in this industry. Uh, so when I was, I was an undergrad, I grew up in Maryland, uh, went to the university of Maryland college park and studied aerospace engineering actually. But in my free time, I was <clears throat> kind of, you know, as kind of a young person in colleges being exposed to new ideas, uh, you know, I started being exposed to the ideas of like libertarianism, reading economists, starting with, you know, Thomas Sowell's basic economics, Henry Hazlitt, Milton Friedman, started discovering then kind of going further down the rabbit hole, learning about Mises and Hayek and, and all that. And I spent a lot of my time outside of, you know, my, my engineering classes reading about this stuff. And uh, I remember, you know, sophomore year, I, I was going between, you know, my some of my engineering classes and I had this thick like human action book in my backpack and all my friends thought it was, <laughs> I was really weird. Yeah. And so, you know, that, this idea of kind of this like first principles economics, you know, like starting from like the, you know, defining what a rational human is and trying to construct what the kind of emergent, um, the emergent phenomena that, that come from that are was you know fascinating, but kind of, you know, fast forward to my senior year. Um, I, I got around to reading, Friedrich Hayek's uh, denationalization of money, like a lot of people, you know, in Bitcoin have read. And this, I still didn't know about Bitcoin at this point, actually. And uh, I read that and I, you know, kind of everything just clicked. I was like, wow, you know, this idea of competing money uh, that that wasn't completely controlled by the government was super fascinating to me. And I had kind of made up my mind that I knew at some point in my life, I wanted to kind of be part of building a financial institution or company that offered people access to money that the federal reserve didn't control. And I know that sounds really weird, but like, that was kind of like what I kind of had decided my dream was in college. And I didn't have no idea how to do that. I thought it would look like something like, you know, I played around with ideas. You know, I looked at what Liberty dollar had done and I saw that didn't end too well for them. Uh, I, I, I thought about, you know, maybe offering, currency, my, my own money backed by commodities or something like that, that sat in a vault or, um, you know, some ideas related to that. And then, uh, you know, I kind of shelved that idea while I had my first job out of college and it was a management consultant consulting job, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't having that much fun. Uh, I missed engineering. I, I didn't enjoy, you know, making all the PowerPoints and stuff and that kind of job, but I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point right out of college. And then uh, because I was kind of bored in my job, I started taking programming classes online. And I took this one Coursera class called Startup Engineering. And the, one of the assignments was to build a Bitcoin donation web, website. And I was like, well, what is, you know, what is like, what is Bitcoin? I kind of heard, heard the word, but I didn't really know much about it. 
And I started digging into it from this assignment online. And I just like, you know, I, I remember the moment it just like clicked. I was like, you know, I had that feeling that a lot of people have had like this fulfills the prophecy, you know, um, <laughs> that that's how I felt. Like I was like, this fulfills the prophecy. And I just knew like I just knew that like this was going to be something and I had to spend time working on it. And, that's fantastic. And what time was this? Yeah. This was mid 2013. <laughs> so uh, Bitcoin had had some traction at that point. Um, you know, Coinbase was up and running. Uh, I, I was using the Coinbase API to play around with Bitcoin stuff. Um, and yeah, the course was actually taught by Balaji uh, Srinivasan on, on Coursera and also another professor at Stanford, Stanford Vijay Pandey. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. But so then by, but by the end of that year, I had decided to up and leave uh, Maryland and move to San Francisco to pursue a career as a software engineer working on Bitcoin stuff. And, um, and that was, yeah, that was at the end of 2013. And then, you know, after that, I, I did a, so I, I landed in San Francisco. I didn't have a job. I did a programming bootcamp and it's been about two months kind of just learning the fundamentals of web engineering and doing a lot of Bitcoin stuff on the side, going to the meetups out here. This was my first exposure to like real Bitcoin meetups. And, you know, I, uh, I really loved them. I loved being able to be in a city with a community of people who just, you know, love Bitcoin. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I got a job shortly after that uh, at a company called MyCoin, which was uh, like a Bitcoin brokerage for, for Taiwan, but they had an office in Palo Alto at the time. And um, did that for about a year and a half, helped build out that platform, that company. They're still, they're still around today. And uh, then ended up going back to grad school um, after that. So I, I ended up doing my master's in computer science at Stanford. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of join at a time where uh, Dan Benet, who's the cryptography professor there, was teaching the first Bitcoin class. And as kind of coincidence would have it, Balaji was one of the was teaching this kind of um, add-on lab unit to that class as well. And uh, because of my experience with Bitcoin and kind of my you know time working in the industry at that point, I was well positioned to actually be a teaching assistant for for that class, which was really cool. And so that was actually my first job uh, in grad school was helping TA that class with Dan Benet and a few other uh, great guys. And um, so, yeah, so I spent two years in grad school focusing on computer security, Bitcoin stuff. I spent some time researching, you know, the possibility of putting BLS signatures in the Bitcoin protocol, uh, which I'm happy to talk about a little more. Um, and and after that, I'll, you know, I'll just kind of summarize up to now. So I spent a little time working in security at Airbnb, but I, I quickly missed Bitcoin stuff and um, ended up. Uh, leaving Airbnb, joining a, an investment fund to kind of focus on Bitcoin deals and also building out some of their technical infrastructure. And that fund was uh, called Polychain Capital. And so I spent a while there, uh, did some cool stuff there, helped um, help lead some investments in, in, in some Bitcoin companies and uh, ended up leaving to start my own company where I am now um, called River Financial. Uh, while I was at Polychain, I... I had the opportunity to go to New York to, I think I was out there for some conference. I can't really remember which one. And I went to one of the BitDevs meetups out there. And um, 
the guy who runs the BitDevs meetup out there, um, Jay, he he is incredibly talented. And the, the, the event that he organizes there that's been going for years now, uh, just kind of, it blew my mind how, how effective it was, what the community was like, um, how much people enjoyed this format of event he had put on. And he calls, he calls it the Socratic seminar style. And basically what he does is he collects, you know, 20, 30 topics and prepares to discuss them for each meetup once a month. And, um, you know, they range from anywhere from kind of news and events in Bitcoin, maybe some company being acquired or some mining news or statistics in the Bitcoin network to, to pull requests in the Bitcoin core repository or the C lightning or LND repositories. And so, you know, he kickstarts a, a discussion one by one through each of these topics. And really the main kind of meat of the, of the event is the people in the audience who attend, who many of whom are talented engineers or understand this stuff deeply and have, you know, conversations around each of these topics. And um, Jay is more of just the moderator. And so I was, I was blown away by, you know, how great that event was. And I, you know, I thought to myself, why don't we have that in San Francisco? And I knew we, we had a Bitcoin developer meetup that I'd you know, been to for a while, but I decided, I, you know, what if I could partner up with the Bitcoin developer meetup in San Francisco and bring this style of event to San Francisco? And, and so that was a year and a half ago. And, you know, it's been a big, a big, been a big hit ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. I've, I've uh, had the pleasure of attending a Socratic seminar in Berlin with the Lightning Conference. And I saw Jay and Ben Weasley, also from San Francisco, who did that role yeah. for the Socratic seminar. And I thought, this is amazing. I wish we could have this here in Sydney or just around the world. But uh, I suppose maybe it, it is uh, one factor is just having enough people with that level of knowledge. And I think in New York City and San Francisco, if there's two places in the world that have that kind of knowledge, it's those two, right? Uh, but let's let's jump into this. I'd love to talk a little bit about how you do it and how other people around the world can replicate that model if they would like. Uh, so can you just give us a bit of an overview on what is the format of the meetup and uh, what are some of the ground rules of the meetup? Yeah, so the nice thing about this meetup and its format is that it's quite easy to replicate and also to um, adjust to your own specific city uh, or wherever you live. And so the, the main the main way that this is structured is that I spend about three hours at least um, over the course of a month before each meetup collecting collecting topics, and I would say a good half of these topics are pull requests. Um, in, in GitHub uh, for Bitcoin Core, C Lightning, or LND. I often uh, source a lot of these from the developers themselves, often the people who've actually written the code uh, for these pull requests, who many of whom will potentially be in the audience to actually discuss it. And then, you know, I also find news. I also have a number of sites that I go to regularly regularly for statistics. And then the the different kind of meetup organizers around the world, we all actually share a lot of content. So you know, a lot of the meetups each have their own website or, or, or some sort of repository where they store the topics that they have in their topic list and will kind of pull from each other's lists, which is really convenient and um, kind of we kind of share the work that way. Uh, so, yeah, you know, for San Francisco, what I do is I put all these topics. It's basically each topic is effectively a link and I create a list of links and put it on sfbitcoindevs.org and I put a new list up each month 
I try to get it done at least a few days before the meetup, but sometimes it's day of or just a day before, depending on how busy I've been. And uh, I just, you know, before each meetup, what I do is I open every topic in a tab. And I, and I learned this from Jay, by the way. Um, this is totally, you know, he started this and it's, uh, so I actually learned from him um, and, you know, modified a little bit to, to the San Francisco flavor. But uh, there's also kind of, so, so I go through each tab and highlight, you know, bits of the page that, you know, I want to pop out and, and cover uh, when we each have a discussion, when we have a discussion about it. And, and yeah, and then, you know, the event starts in San Francisco, it starts at seven o'clock PM. We have pizza and beer. Um, anyone's welcome. Uh, Digital Garage is, uh, is our host actually there. Uh, uh, if you, if you know, Digital Garage, they're a big Japanese firm. They have a co-working space in San Francisco and, uh, have been very gracious and supportive, allowing us to use that space for free for, to host the event. And, uh, yeah, so we start around seven o'clock and uh, spend two hours just going through each of these topics. And I'm lucky enough that we have so many talented and intelligent, knowledgeable people in San Francisco that my job's actually pretty easy because, um, the people in the audience can carry on the discussion that, my job is just to keep things on time, keep things from going too far off the rails or off track. Um, you know, every now and then, you know, you get people bringing up topics that, you know, may not be appropriate. So you just have to be willing to, willing to kind of keep everyone in line. So, so yeah. Um, in, in other cities, so, so we, we, there are a lot of these now around the world. It's totally spread like wildfire. As, as you mentioned, there's one in Berlin, there's one in Seattle now, there's one in um, Chris Stewart's running one in Chicago. Uh, and I think there's, there's one in Austin, um, London, and it, it's great to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and what about the rules of the meetup? Typically, as I understand, it's normally Chatham House rules. Are there any other? What, 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 what is, first of all, what is that? And what, if there are any other rules, can you just outline those? Yeah, so I would say it's it's largely Chatham House rules. So basically, um, you can talk about what's been said. Uh, we try to, you know, we we don't want we we encourage people to not talk name names about who said things. Um, and the biggest rule is no photos or videos. Um, and that's the, you know, that has some pros and cons actually. The big benefit to no no photos or videos is that it helps people maintain their privacy. It helps people. Uh, in, who are there feel like they can, you know, really be themselves and they don't have to worry about something being taken out of context and putting on the internet and being put on the internet. Um, the downside is, and I see this a lot on Twitter and even on our, our meetup pages, because we're in San Francisco and we have all these incredibly well-respected people uh, at our meetups, uh, you know, the rest of the world really wants to see them and they, and they want to hear them and they want to see what everyone's saying in San Francisco and so, um, you know, we've tried to kind of balance that desire with kind of two types of meetups. So we have these monthly Socratics and then every now and then we have a special presentation that is public that we film and that goes on YouTube. So just la- just this uh, week on Monday, Peter Vola um, gave a great presentation about updates to Bip Taproot. And so uh, we try to make sure that there is content that the rest of the world can see from San Francisco. Yeah, that's uh, one struggle that many of us who are, <laughs> let's just say, in places that don't have the same level of Bitcoin knowledge and talent, we struggle with that. Uh, I think the other thing is you really need a moderator who has a good level of knowledge themselves, right? Like I saw from the one I saw with Jay and uh, Ben Weasley, I saw Jay did a great job at just basically having a, a good level of knowledge about each of these little topics. How do you 
go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the nice thing about this is that my career is in Bitcoin already. I spend all day working on Bitcoin stuff, more or less. And uh, I've spent the last, you know, six years effectively spending most of my time paying attention to Bitcoin. So it's not like that much extra work to try to keep in touch with all the developments. But I will say over the last year, as the Lightning Network stuff has picked up and more, um, more also protocol level uh, improvements or updates are being considered and more just more development activity in general, it is getting harder and harder to keep keep uh, abreast of all the developments. Um, but luckily, I'm able to lean on people that attend um, to kind of handle the bulk of the discussion for topics that I'm not able to effectively discuss. So every meetup, there's at least a handful of topics that I kind of have a high level understanding of. but um, you know, I definitely don't have the the depth or, or have spent the time on understanding it to be to able to be able to really speak intelligently about it. So, um, you know, I, I kind of delegate that stuff. Gotcha. And in terms of getting a location sponsorship, do you have any tips for Bitcoin meetup organizers out there? Yeah, I mean, I would say that in terms of finding a location, I, I think that that you can actually sell a meetup to a co-working space as, as kind of a benefit, mutually beneficial. A lot of co-working spaces want to host meetups because it gets people in the door um, learning about the space. And a lot of these people are technical people, engineers who will go and have their own startups. So I would say, you know, look for those spaces in your city. Um, it, it, you know, I think you shouldn't have to, I don't think you should have to like pay to have a meetup. I think the actual, that you're you're putting pulling together a bunch of talented, intelligent people who are many of whom are probably entrepreneurial, and that's really valuable to many spaces to want to have those people there. Um, and then, kind of, you do need money though to to you know basically pay for pizza, beer, maybe some equipment, and for that, you know, I think um, it there's always money somewhere, and it doesn't require that much. I mean, San Francisco is one of the most expensive cities in the world, and and you know our budget is, you know, pretty, pretty modest. And so finding a company to sponsor it, or maybe even um, just having individuals who attend, if you're in a smaller city or town, just chip in, it might be the most feasible thing to do until you can grow it to the point where maybe a company is really interested in supporting it. Yeah, that's great. My own company supports the one. Yeah. And sorry, in in, uh, San Francisco, um, the sponsors are Digital Garage and, and my company, River Financial and also Square Crypto. Nice. Yeah. So maybe uh, meetup organizers out there, if you've got um, some kind of Bitcoin company in your city, then you can try and lean on them to maybe help provide the meetup room or to maybe put up some money for the pizzas and beers uh, and get a shout out during the, you know, the meeting for that. One, I guess, personal experience that I've seen in Sydney is that there'll be Obviously, not everyone is into the development and the technical side of it, right? So there are some people who just sort of come and they're into you know silly things like TA and stuff like that. But um, I'm really hoping to build more of a scene where people actually care more about the technical components of it and you know potentially even the economic aspects of it as well. Let's talk a little bit about some of how you you know break some of these down. So I'm just looking at the sfbitcoindevs.org page and the most recent mm-hmm. one you've got Socratic 17 reading list and this is basically the stack of links that you've got. Um, so 
talk us through what would you normally do when you talk through, say, the news items? So, for example, the ransom attack on the cold card or the Bitcoin mining in North America. What would you sort of mention for uh, those? Yeah, so, um, you know, typically what I'll do is, you know, before the meetup, I'll read through the article, um, get a sense of what the vulnerability was, and and then kind of reach out to the audience and see, you know, has anyone, is anyone using cold cards or has had experience with this? Um, does anyone have, you know, sometimes the people in the audience are the ones who maybe even wrote the article. So if it's something like that, I'll just defer directly to them. But for this one specifically, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, I brought this up, gave a summary, and then in the audience, the discussion kind of centered around the fact that, you know, these types of attacks, you know, are important to think about, but, um, you know, they're very difficult to completely mitigate because of just kind of the nature of hardware wallets and that they really just don't know that much about kind of the state of the chain and, um, you know, they don't keep a lot of state around. So, you know, there was a pretty deep technical discussion about that, actually. Right, yeah. And then you, you sort of might bring up some totally different topic like Bitcoin mining. Okay, we've got Stratum V2. And then you'll sort of bring up a little bit of the high level. Here's what the, here's what's changing with that. And then maybe you've got an expert in the room who is very good with Bitcoin mining and they can speak to that a little bit further, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I brought up this last time. Um, I kind of brought up the fact that there seems to be this trend of increasing mining in North America. Uh, you know, some of the discussions center around, well, you know, maybe this is just, it's still potentially a rounding error compared to the amount in China. Um, but, you know, it is growing. Uh, there was some investor there who had done a lot of, you know, mining or investing in the mining space who was pretty, um, who was pretty bullish on, on, on mining in North America. So there was some very, pretty interesting discussion around that. Yeah. And then in terms of statistics, what sort of stuff do you normally bring up? Yeah. So typically what I look for is anomalies in the network. And these are kind of some things that we kind of shared between the meetup organizers. So specifically, uh, a lot, we spent a lot of time looking at some of the dashboards that people have built with, with good charts. So like, for example, the Bitcoin Optech dashboard that looks at, you know, um, the, the UTXO set size, you know, were there any big UTXO set consolidations? Uh, what about like pay to script hash or, or, or SegWit adoption? Um, are there any, you know, anomalous behavior, uh, you know, behaviors happening in the Bitcoin network? Um, so, you know, if there's ever like, you know, you know, for example, if there were, you know, an increased number of orphan blocks, right? You know, we, that'd be something we discuss. Why is that happening? If there was a spike in um, pay to script, uh, sorry, uh, SegWit outputs and, you know, native SegWit adoption, you know, why is that happening? For example, the next meetup, um, we might discuss that because it looks like Bitnex just released their support for native SegWit, and we might see that um, we see a significant increase there. Uh, so there might be some interesting discussion around that, things like that. I guess you're re really leveraging just the crowd's knowledge as well, because hopefully at least one person out there has, maybe they've got some insight or they can hypothesize, oh, okay, this new wallet just came online and a lot of people are using that one and it's got Bash32 or whatever. Um, and that might be the driver behind more use of native SegWit, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're lucky in San Francisco, a lot of people in the audience have firsthand knowledge of a lot of the events because they, they work for the companies or they have friends who do, who have, you know, made changes that cause, cause these network, um, network statistic anomalies. Yep. And then next up, you've got new work and research. So can you just give us an overview of what you might talk about there? Yeah. So, um, so kind of the next thing we go into once we kind of warmed up our brains a little bit with some news and updates and, and network statistics is 
kind of more technical in-depth uh, work that's been done. For example, uh, this could be like some in-depth blog posts that people have done. For example, BitMEX did a really good, really interesting experiment recently uh, testing every major Bitcoin version's initial block download time. And uh, they ran some numbers around that and, and presented that data. And so we spent some time discussing that and why the numbers were what they were. Uh, some core devs were in the audience and could give insights into the specific changes for each Bitcoin release and, and, and the the, uh, the implications of each. Uh, we'll discuss new new uh, BIP, new BIPs. So a lot of stuff basically to the mailing list, new papers. Uh, you know, uh, one a, a, a very in recent months or in the last year, actually a regular guest uh, feature in our new work section has been Z-Man, um, who's very famous for his very uh, in-depth, well-written emails. And he always has a lot of very interesting new ideas. So I'll include a lot of stuff from him in there. Uh, and yeah, so basically anything like that, papers, new things, ideas to the mailing list. Uh, and then you've got Bitcoin PR. So this is really getting into this very, into the detail. What do you talk about with uh, the PRs? Yeah, so this is my favorite section, actually, uh, and it's what I spend the most time kind of digging into because I think it actually is pretty like novel in the sense that there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of other places for people to discover a quick summary of development happening in Bitcoin Core uh, unless they're following the IRC channel or, or the GitHub repo. But uh, what I do is I typically go through the GitHub repo and I have you know have some filters that I normally set and, and look through the various pull requests that are going on, the various conversations. Sometimes I reach out to, to core devs themselves and ask for any suggestions for interesting pull requests to review. And so I'll collect all of these and put them in the in this list. And they range from anything anything from really meaty, big changes, potentially even like a soft fork uh, proposal or something like that, to very small things. For example. Uh, last month, there was a change where um, someone changed one keyword in in, in Bitcoin Core, cha- changing slightly the how a, a data structure was declared in in the repository, and that ended up leading to a pretty non-negligible increase in performance for initial block download time, or because uh, it, it, it significantly reduced the amount of memory that the um, that the data structures were, were using. And so, you know, even just like these little things that seem trivial, if you look at it, uh, are, are pretty interesting. There's a lot of interesting discussion around it. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you've obviously got the lightning stuff as well. So how do you manage that with, uh, you know, there are some meetups that are specifically lightning and uh, you still cover it at some level in the Bitcoin devs meetup, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, big shout out to Lalu here. He, he helps keep me up to date with the LND pull requests. He sends me a good chunk of um, interesting LND stuff every month to include. And I also like to include C Lightning because I think it's a very well-engineered uh, piece of software. And I'm a big fan of Rusty. I actually listened to your podcast with Rusty recently. And uh, so I, I really like you know in- including this. Also, Lisa, one of the maintainers of C Lightning, has a, has a Twitter account where she tweets the interesting commits uh, into C Lightning. And so I, I like following that and including some of that stuff. Yeah, so there are some Lightning specific meetups. I'd say those meetups are more typically geared towards more project, like a lot of project level kind of discussion, um, things people have built. Uh, whereas our meetup is gets into the weeds of, of a lot of deep, deep protocol stuff. 
And typically there's a lot of lightning developers at the meetup as well, who I mostly lean on to talk about this stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. I, yeah, I just I, I just keep thinking back to my experience uh, at the... I've only been to one, right? I've been to the one in Berlin, but it was at this time when... So Jay was there and like uh, there was a, like a lot of... Um, basically, there were a lot of the Lightning Labs team there and, you know, some Sea Lightning team there and just everyone was there. So it was just crazy to see all these people who could literally speak to it uh, in their own... Because from their own experience, or they were the person who was uh, doing that work. So that was really cool. I'd love to see um, more of that uh, in you know elsewhere around the world. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in trying to build a community over time, or or maybe San Francisco is not a good example, just because that was really <laughs> that's where a lot of the early Bitcoin stuff was. Yeah, well, you know, I would say that you know most of the credit for San Francisco Bitcoin devs actually really needs to go to De- Denise Terry. She's been really organizing and running. The, you know, doing the hard part of the, this meetup for years uh, and has just been, a, you know, you know, the hero we don't deserve out here. Uh, there's And so she's kind of done a lot of the groundwork, setting up the legal entity for the, the meetup, um, handling all of the organization around it. And that's kind of really what keeps it all running. Um, I kind of, I think, have contributed to the community by bringing this, this BitDevs event along and the BitDevs Socratic style event to the meetup. And I think this has attracted a, a regular group that monthly comes to these and really wants to come and discuss ideas. Um, I think before what we had, which was really great, was um, you know these one-off presentations that were sporadic and weren't always um, you know at more of a fixed cadence. And it was it still attracted a good community, but it wasn't something where people could come every month and they knew what you know they were going to get and they knew uh, that they'd be able to come and discuss and, and really collaborate. So I think basically the the nice thing about this the Socratic style has been it attracts people who kind of want to come and contribute ideas or hear people talk about ideas. And you know, like you mentioned. You know, our job is pretty easy because in San Francisco, this is kind of the center of it all. So I don't have to go advertise this meetup, really. I don't go and um, try to convince people to show up um, that, like, we're, we're lucky in that regard. If I was in a smaller town, I think I would have to spend more of my time doing that, trying to get new people involved, maybe reaching out. A lot of a lot of times, the people who find this most interesting are people who are engineers who kind of really can follow technical discussion, um, but just don't know much about Bitcoin. Right, and so there'll be a, they're a software engineer. They want to learn more, and they come to, they come to these sort of events to really kind of learn what to even look into, right? And I think that's a big value of these sort of events for people who aren't deep in the weeds of Bitcoin engineering is they can show up. They're probably not going to understand a good, you know, uh, you know, potentially even seventy five percent of what what's being discussed, but they'll be exposed to kind of what they need to look into what there even is to know about and, and to learn about. And I think that's the biggest value for a large fraction of the people who come. I'd say most of the people who show up at these events don't understand everything that's being discussed, and that's totally okay. Uh, but they like that, right? And because that means that there's they're seeing this whole um, this, this whole world of, of knowledge that that's new to them. And so I think that's a pretty easy sell to a lot of people who, who want to learn. And then the other kind of real valuable part of a meetup like this, especially in somewhere like San Francisco or New York, is seeing the the people who really do contribute a lot to these protocols, share ideas, 
in the event and seeing these ideas being cross-pollinated between people who, you know, who are influential and who are, you know, writing, writing the code we all use day to day. And so, so yeah, um, kind of long-winded way of saying, you know, San Francisco is special, but I think, you know, this is, it's, it's doable to build a fun community in other places. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'd definitely love to see that. Um, with the topics of discussion and the theme of the meetup, do you, did you ever get a bunch of people who just weren't interested to get into the whole technical side of it and they would, they just wanted to sort of talk more about other aspects of Bitcoin or do they, or is it more like selection bias? You just don't hear about them or hear from them because they just don't turn up. So I would say that, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, you know, there are every now and then people who don't know what they're getting into when they come to this. Um, and they kind of end up wanting to talk about price or something, you know, or more political stuff. Um, and I think what we found is like this event is technical and we just try to maintain the technical purity of it. And, you know, in San Francisco, there are plenty of other options. There are plenty of other forums to discuss the higher level stuff. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a more there's more social events. However, like like you mentioned, the economic stuff. That's where like there actually is really interesting intellectual conversation to be had. Um, but it, you know, it's hard to figure out how to how to um, include it in a in a in a in an event that's technical focused. Uh, so you know, it's something that I've been thinking about, and I'm not sure like the right answer. Um, I think that also just depends on the crowd and the community. I think that in in most other places outside of San Francisco, where you're not going to have this this uh, um, concentration of deep technical people, it might make sense to you know expand expand the list of discussed topics to more accessible things like economics and potentially political things. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but uh, I think the other thing that I've personally found even from the Bitcoin City Meetup is uh, over time, people do naturally want to learn more of the technical components of it. It just, I think it, it has bended and shifted over the times, right? So in you know 2017 and so on with all the, the shitcoin era and trading and so on was a thing. But then now this year, at least speaking from a Sydney Meetup perspective, we have slowly but surely been able to get people uh, to more start thinking about the technical components of it although not at the same level that you guys are covering it obviously yeah so do you have any tips then in terms of uh, for the imagine a meetup organizer is listening or they are looking to start a meetup do you have any tips for them in terms of organizing presentations to sort of mix in with the socratic seminar style yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's common. I know they do this a lot in New York. Is uh, often one of these meetups will have kind of short presentations that a special guest will give. A few months ago, we did this with an engineer who wanted to give a presentation on a BIP he was working on, and so you know, I had him send me some slides over, and he gave a quick, you know, five ten minute um, presentation of, of what he's working on. Now. I try to avoid anything longer than five or 10 minutes uh, for, for our meetup because I think one of the things that a lot of people value is that they don't have to sit through one person talking about the same thing for a, a long time. Um, but I do think that it's a great way to uh, add more 
potential depth to a meetup if you have something like if you have uh, someone who's been working on some really cool stuff and you think people find them interesting just preparing them making sure that they come ready to kind of keep it short and sweet give them 10 15 minutes to um to help fill some time um especially guests like if you have someone in town right who's visiting who who uh is a core developer or has done really cool work in the space or works at one of these cool bitcoin companies um that's a great thing i think to bring to a meetup because it's like hey this person's visiting from uh san francisco or london and you know they're in town they're going to talk for 15 minutes 20 minutes about something they're working on i think people really love that stuff yeah absolutely so that's something we're trying to do as well but yeah definitely that's something bitcoin meetup organizers can look to do uh do you what's your view of the at least in san francisco how many other bitcoin meetups are there like i presume yours is the more technical one but i presume there are other ones also um, yeah, there's so there are basically two that I know of ours and there's a Bitcoin social meetup, which is which meets at a bar. And I actually haven't been in a long time. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it's like. But I assume they, you know, spend time just talking about Bitcoin, maybe I don't know if they have presentations. Um, but I think it's just more for the general, uh, more, more just general interest. Uh, so it's not specifically technical. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that I've seen and heard of is sometimes people, more experienced Bitcoiners might get frustrated of explaining the same thing to new Bitcoiners over and over. So uh, sometimes there's a there's a role there for bifurcation or splitting of that. So maybe you would have you know, somebody who's helping beginners and then another area where kind of more experienced Bitcoiners can just chat about whatever. Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, I think that the tone that we set at San Francisco Bitcoin Devs is that beginners are more than welcome and we encourage beginners to come, but it's not going to be hand holding them through it. And if they want something like that, they're better off reaching out individually to people to help find resources to learn the basics, uh, going to you know the social meetups um, or basically spending more time doing their own their own reading. I think one thing actually that is lacking in San Francisco that I'd love to figure out you know, how to do better. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the time right now is to kind of have these, this sort of middle ground event, right? Teaching people who are intimidated, you know, about Bitcoin from, from the, from the ground up and some of the basics. I actually do think there, that's, a, that is a gap we have in San Francisco. We have the social stuff, we have the advanced technical meetup, but we don't really have that in between like you're talking about. And, the brave people who are okay kind of jumping in the deep end head first just show up at ours and, and they're fine, right? Um, but if, you know, it, 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 I can see how it is intimidating and I do try to, you know, in, encourage beginners who are in our meetup and, uh, and, and are feeling intimidated to, um, you know, ask questions if they have any. Uh, but I, I really do think we could do a better job in San Francisco at um, teaching new people about Bitcoin technically. Yeah, and I think you're right that um, honestly, I think these these sorts of meetups are probably a good way to learn themselves. Like if you just go and ask those questions, that's really a massive learning opportunity. Or even you can just listen to the discussion and you can just soak that up. So I think um, for listeners out there who might be a bit more intimidated, just definitely do try and go to these meetups. At least you can soak up some knowledge out of them where you might have otherwise had to spend a lot of time reading, you can quickly condense some of that down if you can speak to people about it. 
Absolutely. I mean, you can read about the basics of how Bitcoin works online, and that's probably actually the fastest way to learn the fundamentals. But what you're you're going to struggle to learn is how do how do the people who've been building Bitcoin stuff for a long time think about this? You know, what goes through their thought processes when they're proposing this BIP or commenting on this, and why do they think X or Y or Z? And that's what you really get at meetups like this. You you get to hear the people who work on this day in and day out. Uh, kind of talking about how they think about it. And I don't think there's anything that is more valuable in understanding the ins and outs of Bitcoin development than that. That's great. All right. Uh, look, let's um, let's change topics now. Let's talk a little bit about your startup, River. So high level, what is it? Why did it get started? Yeah. So, you know, going back to the beginning of, of our conversation, I had mentioned my dream was to build this financial institution uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was a senior in college, uh, giving people access to money that you know the government didn't control or that uh, you know was um, kind of what I would you know what I like to call sound money, and I didn't know how I would do that. And Bitcoin, I realized, was how I could do that. And so basically, River is the realization of this company, this idea that I've been wanting to build uh, for about eight years now. And I've been working towards that goal uh, and finally able to do it. So uh, I, I mentioned that you know, the last job I had was at this investment fund. When I left that, I told them, you know, um, hey, I really, I really loved working here. I really love you guys, but I just really need to start this company. And now is the time to do it. Uh, I wanted to build you know, this Bitcoin financial institution. I thought that there, that a number of companies who've been around in the space for a while uh, were going to build what I had wanted to build. And then in 2017, I kind of realized as these companies expanded across supporting a lot of different assets and what I would call very questionable cryptocurrencies, I realized they're not really building what I wanted to build. And there's still an opportunity to build this thing. And so, you know, uh, so... I started what used to be called Alto Financial uh, with my with my cousin Andrew Benson, my co-founder, in February, and the the goal of you know of our company is to build um, long term this bit this this financial institution that's built around Bitcoin that we believe is going to be this widely used money and store of value uh, around the world and sit there up alongside or, or challenge directly fiat currencies. Um, Initially, what we're building is a Bitcoin-only Bitcoin brokerage that is a U.S. dollar on and off ramp and provides all of the kind of cutting-edge cutting edge functionality that um, people in the Bitcoin world want. So we launched a few weeks ago. We rebranded to River.com, and we're up live and running. Uh, what you can do on River is uh, connect your bank account, buy or sell Bitcoin, um, deposit and withdraw to your account on-chain or via the Lightning Network, set up automated recurring buys with discounted fees. And uh, as we expand over the next few years, we're going to be building out more and more functionality to look more like a financial institution, um, uh, including things like, you know, institutional accounts, uh, more financial services, potentially around lending, payroll, et cetera. So I think that, you know, the long-term vision for River is kind of this, um, this place where, uh, you know, you can keep your Bitcoin or you can buy your Bitcoin and get it off. Um, 
you know, eventually I'd like to be able to offer some sort of pseudo custodial services for people who run lightning nodes and we can route for them, but they keep their own keys. Uh, there's all sorts of all sorts of ways we could take this. But today we're focused on just building the best Bitcoin brokerage out there in the United States. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, tell us a little bit about how uh, your I noticed you saw you were talking about self-hosting. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I love our technology. So, you know, we, we've spent about eight months building out the tech for this for this company, and we made a, a few key decisions early on. And one of the big decisions that we made was that we're not going to put anything important in the cloud. So, uh, we run all of our stuff, um, our 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 web application, our database, um, everything critical to our company is hosted uh, on on on-prem at, uh, in a server cluster that we own, that server cluster sits in a 2000 pound vault that is built for the military. It's called an IPS container. Actually, it is a ventilated safe effectively, um, for built for, you know, military servers. They often have these on bases. And, uh, so our servers live in that. And we thought the reason that we made that decision was because, you know, it really doesn't make sense for any startup to do that unless they're a Bitcoin bank and they're, they have, and they need to know 100% their attack surface, uh, you know, and it's inexcusable to be on shared computers. And so for any other sort of startup, this wouldn't make sense to do. It's a lot of work and it, it, it's a lot of maintenance, but for us, you know, we, we were looking at do, if we were in G cloud or AWS, can we answer this fundamental question? Who has access to this computer? And um, if you're in AWS or Google Cloud, you can't answer that question. You can't answer how many people because Google or AWS wouldn't tell you, right? You just hope that no one inside uh, has access. And the thing about Bitcoin is, um, you know, for your hot funds, um, someone just has to steal 256 bits of information and they have your money. And if our bit, if we were hosting our hot wallet in AWS and our and our, and our um, funds disappeared someday, we would have no idea necessarily why, right? It could have been an insider. Um, so we wanted to basically eliminate any risk of an insider at some other company uh, being a threat to our infrastructure. And on top of just you losing keys, there's there's our user data and privacy, which is another reason that we're, we're self-hosted. Is we take that very very seriously, and we don't want um, we want as little of our users' data in someone else's cloud as possible. Awesome. And uh, as I was looking through your website, I noticed you have a focus on recurring buys, which is uh, becoming a new thing, the uh, DCA-style investing. Tell us about your philosophy on that. Yeah, so you know, our, our company is focused on helping long-term Bitcoin investors build wealth. So we wanted, we're not an institution for the person day trading, trying to short the market and, 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 you know, play derivatives and, and play that game. We're, we're, we're interested in attracting the type of person who wants to accumulate Bitcoin over time. And we think that the best way to do that is with a dollar cost average technique. And so effectively a recurring automated buy, completely removing your own emotions uh, from your investment decision and just just kind of set it and forget it. So we, our focus is making it really easy for people to just sign up, press buy once and make it a recurring buy. And then 
they'll continue to you know accumulate over time, whether it's weekly, biweekly, monthly, depending on their own financial situation. And then to encourage that, actually, we, we discount your fees if you have a recurring purchase set up. And then um, another feature we're actually working on on top of that, that uh, I hope we can roll out in the next few months here, is the option to even auto withdraw uh, after a recurring purchase. So you can imagine the flow for that would be you can register a hardware wallet with our with our service. Um, we basically get your get a get your XPub or generate a fresh XPub on a, on a ledger or Trezor if possible, so we we don't, we can't see your existing coins. And then every recurring purchase, um, once the order settles, we send that we send those transactions off to your own wallet, so you can really set it and forget it and self custody. Um, and we, since we built our infrastructure to be Bitcoin first and Bitcoin only, we actually can do all this really cool stuff because, uh, you know, our own Bitcoin wallet that we built ourselves on the back end is, is modularized in, in the way that we can basically like create all these little sub wallets for all of our users and, um, you know, send coins to them easily, keep track of, keep track of those XPubs. Uh, so, yeah, we have some pretty stuff, cool stuff going on there. And then there's also the whole lightning aspect to all of this as well. So, you know, it'd be cool someday if we could automatically push via lightning to people's to people's nodes after they've purchased. Yeah, there's a lot. There's some ideas that just jumped to my mind straight away there. So I guess uh, one idea there is that if the customer has to give you their XPUB, so again, that's their privacy, is there any potential that you could use like BIP47 stealth addresses, uh, that kind of approach where there's like a one-time setup and then every other address is kind of shared between, say, River and the customer, but then River doesn't have the like XPUB of that customer, or maybe they could use like an XPUB on a different derivation path or something like that so that you know, River doesn't have everything. Exactly. I mean, one of the problems with stealth addresses is just like the the adoption and kind of the complexity of it. And people's people aren't necessarily going to have the hardware wallets that support any of those standards. Um, I think w- with the XPUB, actually, what we can do is we can create like a sibling XPUB, right? So we don't get your the we have a, we have like basically exactly what you said. Um, you know, either a completely separate XPUB from any XPUB they've used for their other coins. Or something along the path that still allows us to know, you know, to not learn about any of their other coins, right? This is a fresh XPub uh, or a fresh path that we exclusively use, and none of their other coins go there, and um, you know, th- so their, their privacy wouldn't be impacted. That's the goal. Gotcha. And then, yeah, you also mentioned Lightning as well. So that would be really cool to have Lightning withdrawal. Now, I guess the concern there would be more like managing the channel size and so on and doing the looping in and out or submarine swapping in and out. Uh, And I guess for some customers, it may make sense that they just take their deposits on chain instead of Lightning. Uh, And also uh, there is that uh, key send idea. So what are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, so I think for the foreseeable future, most people will be withdrawing on chain, uh, especially if it's like an automated withdrawal. But we already do support Lightning withdrawals uh, via the vanilla kind of Lightning flow. So we already support Lightning deposits and withdrawals to your account. And um, so basically, you know, what you see with us is you have a Bitcoin balance on river.com and you can add to that balance by buying or depositing Bitcoin on-chain or via Lightning, and you could subtract from that balance by withdrawing on-chain or withdrawing via Lightning or, or selling. And, But 
like as you mentioned, there's a lot of better like as the lightning protocol evolves specifically there's a lot of like cooler things we could do so the key send idea where you know the ideal is right now the flow where our user has to enter an amount for how much they want to receive on lightning generate an invoice copy that invoice and send it to someone paying it's kind of clunky right it'd be great if our users could each just get an identifier a pub key or something like that that they can give to someone and, and that person can just pay them whatever amount that needs to be paid right so that's kind of what I see the next iteration, the next kind of stage of our Lightning infrastructure supporting as the protocol matures. Uh, I can't wait for that to be to be usable because I think it will significantly improve um, the u- usability of Lightning. Right. Yeah. So uh, even here, I'm thinking of things like LN URL, where the customer can just scan at one time and then their wallet just does it all in the background, or even this idea of maybe. Again, I'm not as uh, familiar with the technical details of it, but you might have some kind of key send idea. And then if uh, if it fails and there's like an on-chain fallback address that it sends to for the customer to receive on-chain if they don't have the capacity or there's no route, for example. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of the challenges here will be, uh, you know, because we're a custodial institution, kind of being able to have these identifiers for each user and have them be unique without having to run a node for each user. Um, so there is some work that we need to figure out there. Uh, we need to make sure that, uh, you know, we know who a deposit's going to when it comes in, if it's kind of a key send thing. So um, there are some things to think through there, but overall I'm really excited about where the lightning stuff can go. I think there's a lot of opportunity as well with this kind of, like I mentioned, the pseudo custodial use case where, users trust, kind of trust us, right? They trust us to um, buy Bitcoin and they trust us to not, you know, they trust us to deliver the Bitcoin to them, but they don't trust us to like hold the Bitcoin for a long time, you know? So for example, uh, you know, Stefan, if you have a a lightning node and you have a channel open with us, uh, you can, you know, you buy Bitcoin from us and we just deposit to your node. And then whenever you want to send a payment, you don't need to worry about channel management yourself. You could just pay through us. Uh, if you're okay, you know, you know, with that trust model of like trusting your privacy with us for routing, because we'll be a well-connected node. Now, the nice thing about Bitcoin, and I think what the fundamental kind of value add of Bitcoin to any financial institution is, is like you can always opt out, right? And you can always route yourself if you want. You're never stuck with us. And I think that's the beauty of Lightning and Bitcoin in general. And that's why I think it's the next you know, it's going to be the core money of our next monetary system. Yeah, right. And so in that example, I might have a channel open with River, but then I might also have other channels open and I can route through those as well. So I'm not kind of stuck or beholden to one particular channel or uh, channel partner in that scenario. Um, And also on that topic, uh, I've heard of this idea of trampoline routing. And so then there's like this idea. So again, this is a coming idea. It's not in place now. Um, and I know the async guys are talking about it with their app Phoenix, where the idea is right now you are basically giving off your privacy to uh, async when you route that way. But the plan is in future that with trampoline routing, then you can actually make it so that the channel partner doesn't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I find very interesting. Um, I think, you know, one of the challenges in Lightning is going to be the privacy aspect of it. And there's going to be an interesting, as Lightning grows, it's going to be very interesting to see how institutions like ours have to have to handle it from both a regulatory and a privacy perspective. Obviously, one of the biggest differences between Bitcoin 
you know, layer one and, and lightning is in, in lightning, you kind of have these long lived identities. Uh, and like you said, you know, these, these node identities live around and, you know, if you're paying an invoice from, from river, we see this identity you're paying to, right? Trampoline payments might be able to kind of fix some of those privacy leaks. And I'm really excited to see what, what teams like async come up with there. All right, look, so we're coming to time. So maybe if you could just let the listeners know uh, where they can follow you online and where they can find out more. Yeah, sure. So my, my Twitter handle is at Leishman, L-E-I-S-H-M-A-N. Um, and you can also learn more about River at river.com. Uh, it's a pretty easy domain to remember. And yeah, if you have any questions about, um, if you're interested in starting your own uh, Bitcoin meetup in your city, uh, you're interested in learning more about um, kind of my company, you know, or just, just Bitcoin in general, don't hesitate to reach out, send me a, a DM request or, or, you know, at me on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty responsive. So yeah, I'd love to help out, you know, anyone who's especially interested in starting a meetup. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Alex. Thanks for having me, Stefan. So hopefully you got some useful tips out of that. I know I definitely did in terms of how I'm helping organize some of the meetups around the Bitcoin Sydney scene. But those of you in the rest of the world, definitely try and take some tips there. Either start attending your local Bitcoin meetup or if you don't have one, start one and you can slowly use some of these tips to build the scene and build your own knowledge of Bitcoin. So don't be afraid to reach out for help or leverage some of the already existing material from SF Bitcoin Devs or New York City Bitcoin Devs. Lastly, the show notes, the transcript, the link to subscribe, you can find all that on my website, stefanlevera.com. This is episode 136. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels. 